tech issues today. So I'm on my old laptop. So let's all pray that this doesn't all just collapse around my ears. That would be super awkward. The cat chewed through the um, Logitech webcam cable. Rang my electrician, he said, no, she's gonna have to buy a new one. So we're on the old laptop today. And so, yeah, please bear with <laughs> Cameras are in the different position. But my guest today is Kurt Friedel from KAI at Virginia Tech. Now he's gonna give you the proper introduction to that and what that all means. That's lots of like symbols and, and letters, isn't it? Um, but yeah, he's coming from America. It's early morning there. It's like nine-ish in the morning. Uh, 8 a.m. 8 a.m. So we're very we're very fortunate to uh, um, have you get up early for us. Thank you. Yeah, um, no the audience is just arriving, so that's lovely. And we do have quite a big audience in America as well. So um, hopefully they're all going to get up a little bit um, early as well today to join us. So I um, a bit of a background, a bit backstory on this is Kurt works at the KAI Center. You're going to have to correct me on a lot That's of this right. stuff in a minute. <laughs> and if you go onto the um, the little call to action button at the bottom of this screen, you'll see it says book here for the KAI symposium. So you'll get through to the website that way. He works at the KAI Center at Virginia Tech. And I got to know about Kurt through my very old friend. She's not old, but I've known her a long time. <laughs> She'd be very upset if I called her old. Um, Nicola Ryle. And her father invented the KAI, what do you call it? It's a K theory. theory. He came up with the theory. And sadly, Dr. Curtin passed away in August this year. And so Nicola is now managing the legacy of her father's legacy and working with Kurt. And over the years, Nicola and I have had many, many discussions about this because I've done um, lots of training on NLP and DISC, etc., which is all to do with psychometric testing. And she's explained to me about KAI many times, and I never really got it. Didn't really get it. And and then she said, right, I want you to talk to Kurt. And I had this amazing chat. And it was a little bit life-changing, to be honest. It was a bit life-changing. You explaining the difference between an adapter and an innovator and how you bridge the gap and what um, and how that can help you creatively problem solve changed the game for me i was like really this just shows doesn't it listen listen more than you speak leslie <laughs> so i'm going to hand the stage over to kurt and he's going to tell us about the kai theory and then a little bit about the center as well and then about the symposium and how we can use it, because I now understand how I can use it, and I'm gonna go the next level and do the training, et cetera, to bring that over here for my community. But it'd be really great to hear a bit of backstory from Kurt, you know, how he got into it, and then, yeah, away you go, because sure. it's life-changing. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, let me start with, um, what we do here and, and then talk about the theory and, and, and they go from there. Um, so, so yes, uh, Nicola uh, manages or, or directs uh, the KAI Distribution Center, which sells KAIs, which is a psychometric inventory, which determines if you're uh, more adaptive or more innovative. 
Um, and my partnership with Nicola here at Virginia Tech is um, to, to carry out that work to advance the, the teaching, the research, the outreach of the theory. Um, so it's a great partnership. We're, we're very um, happy to have it. And uh, so what it is, is um, Dr. Curtin in the, in the 60s uh, had a funded study and in terms with British English, uh, it, it was basically why do big businesses stop innovation or inhibit in innovation? And uh, he ended that study, published a, a little uh, book and some case studies and ended up with more questions than answers. And he kept working on those questions for about 14 years and developed the theory and, and the measure which um, tests the theory uh, called the KAI. <clears throat> and so what it is, is uh, it's an aspect of problem solving. Uh, in, the, in the function of problem solving, uh, some people are more adaptive and some people are more innovative. Uh, more adaptive people tend to be those who think inside the box. Uh, they're very detail oriented. Uh, they like change and evolutionary steps, tweaks. So if a system's broken or something needs fixed to the more adaptive individual, the preference is to tweak it, to, to make it better, to make it more efficient. Contrast that to the more innovative, uh, the more innovative have lots of ideas, uh, not by um, not not by nature of of wanting to have more ideas as an aspect of intelligence, but their philosophy is you have to have a lot of ideas, uh, maybe a few bad ideas before you come up with a good one. Uh, they tend to have ideas inside and outside the box because they're less aware of the box. Um, and, and they prefer revolutionary change. So if the system isn't working uh, to the innovative, it's better to crack it, break it, and, and possibly swap it out with something else. Um, so we can measure this preference accurately. It's an aspect of personality. Um, it, the mean is at 95. Uh, it's a normal distribution curve or a bell curve, if you prefer to call it that, uh, 95 to 32. Uh, if you have a score between 95 and 32, you're more adaptive. 95 to 160, you're more innovative. And that's my, that might be how you identify as a problem solver or, or someone who's creative. Um, and, but it's also important to recognize where you're at on that continuum. So we're not putting anyone into boxes. You're not strictly adaptive or innovative. It's also about where you're at on that continuum. So let's just say, for example, uh, I'm a 110, uh, Leslie's a 120, and we have someone else in the room who's a 130. Even though we're all innovators, as we identify as, as being more innovative, I'm the most adaptive person in the room. And, and so there's also an element of, of relevance here. And what's really cool is, is Dr. Curtin really focused on creativity uh, because as his work was growing in, in the theory, creativity was where psychology was moving to. We had the Sputnik moment or we have the race to space and education was focused on how can we improve the teaching of creativity to our youth and, and others. And, and Dr. Curtin went out to say, well, hold on a minute. There's two types of creativity. The brain really can't distinguish between problem solving and creativity. Uh, we, we use those terms synonymously often, um, and, and we can dive deeper in that down the road here. Um, and, and 
you're trying to teach level of creativity, meaning how creative can you be? What I'm talking about is how are you creative? What is your style of creativity? What is your style of problem solving? And that is independent of each other. And so uh, if all the world is problem solving, we, we start seeing creativity and problem solving everywhere. And, and the goal of the theory, uh, or I should say, one of the aims of the theory is separation of, of style and level, that we can have a conversation with two people um, who are equally intelligent, have equal values, uh, equally um, motivated to solve the problem, but are coming at it from two different, very two very different perspectives because of how they prefer to solve the problem, either to adapt or to innovate. And we can measure that gap where where people have that dis disconnect. So it's just fascinating because what you were saying. I mean, I don't think anyone who works with me or for me is going to be surprised about my score. Nicola certainly wasn't surprised <laughs> about my score. I was um, quite on the extreme of the innovator end um, of the of the metric, and and that's not right or wrong. That just is, and and that was fascinating to me because I was like, now I can accept myself. Why? Why do I always want to chuck the baby out with the bathwater? It was so frustrating at times in my life. And I was always challenging. I was always called insubordinate. I found it very difficult to work for other people. And that made me think that I had a problem. There was a problem. I couldn't work for people easily because I would ask difficult questions that they didn't want to answer. Um, I would challenge everything. I would always come up with solutions that people didn't even know they wanted. <laughs> it was like, here's a solution. Well, hang on a minute. I didn't know we had a problem. And so that that led me to become, it led, it led me to have some of the issues that I had that held me back. It created some limiting beliefs in me that and one of them contributed to the one that said, you're an idiot. Um, you, you've got no intelligence whatsoever. You must be an idiot because pe you can't work with people. So you must be an idiot. And um, so that didn't help. And it also contributed to the one where I had a bit of a victim syndrome because I you know, was terrified of going into a room because I was always attacked because I'd go in and, and ask a question and everyone was prepared for this now. So they were like straight in on me. And I made that into a massive issue, which definitely held me back for a while. And it wasn't until I found, became more aware of myself, did some of this training and such, that I was like, hang on a minute, this is just a personality tendency. I can actually use some of this to get me where I want to be. I just have to go about it a different way. Just to go, it's like going on the motorway and the, the sat-nav says you've got to go on the fast, the short or the, or the easiest route, isn't it? And like, well, there's other routes. I'm going to take a different route. So that helped me from that perspective. And I, I discovered that through doing all of the psychology and, and the um, other awareness training that I did, NLP and such like. But the revelation for me within KAI when I was talking to you was the, the fact that I do sometimes, I have sometimes found it difficult to work with other people. And it's the bridge. And when you said to me, that if the bridge is more than 20, mm -hmm. you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work at it. It's not that they're right and you're wrong or vice versa. It's just you're going to have to work at it. Yeah. <clears throat> we, we can measure that. So so um, it, it's a scale between 32 and 160. And uh, it, for, for the math people out there, the standard deviation is about 18 points. So 
what we found at 20 points seems to be the threshold where we have two people having difficulty communicating with each other, working together, and even trusting each other in, in that context. So um, if we have two people who choose a problem solved together, uh, that's where the difficulty can be. And it, it can happen on the innovative side. It can happen in the middle. It can happen on the adaptive side. Um, and if you can imagine, we, we often see teams with people who have 60, 70, 80 point gaps um, who, who uh, just just uh, for, for the life of them don't see the problem the same way. Um, and I need to build on coping behavior here. Mm. So one style is innate. It's stable. Uh, Dr. Curtin always says highly resistant to change, and we have very little evidence to show that it changes as you get older. It doesn't change on your situation. It's independent of culture, so uh, this, this normal distribution uh, tends to hold true whether you're in Asia, Russia, Europe, United States, South America, um, Africa. And, um, but, but we can all operate outside that style. Uh, it requires awareness. It requires motive, um, and it requires a, a learned skill set to operate. So wherever you are at on the continuum, you can choose to be more adaptive or more innovative in your behavior. Your personality doesn't change, but you can operate outside your score if you have the motive to do so. It is taxing uh, to the brain. It's stressful, and we've documented that through re research. Um, so. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll say it's easier to cope 10 points for a day, um, but if I'm coping 40 or 50 points, uh, you know, that's difficult for a couple hours. So it's exponential with intensity and duration. And that's interesting because when I did my um, KAI, Phil did it, you said to me there was an anomaly, <laughs> an anomaly, didn't you? You questioned me about an anomaly on my yeah, there was a variation. I forget where it was, but um, I remember it being insightful for you. Yeah, and it was because I am aware, I am aware that my behavior can be challenging because I like to work, I like to work in groups, I like to collaborate, I like to work with other people. But I'd realized, obviously, through this process that some of my behavior was difficult for other people. So I'd created a kind of workaround. But it must it's not a massive workaround, so I don't feel out of alignment with myself. I've just managed to put in some structure into my behavior that means that it, I can work with it collaboratively because I enjoy mm -hmm. that. So I'd put that in, and that's showing up in my uh, that's showing up in my score. It's, I don't think it changed the score; it just showed up on the um, when I completed. In the it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd created a coping tactic, really mainly for Nicola, if I'm honest, because she hated <laughs> me being late for everything. She got very cross with me. <laughs> She'll laugh when she's watching this. She got used to get very cross with me because I'm, you know, I, I'd always get excited by an idea and go off at a tangent and forget where I was meant to be. And um, so I've created this strategy of time management that works for me so I don't feel stressed. And that's now become part of my ingrained behavior is this coping technique that is a workaround for that bit of my personality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly insightful uh, taking the KAI. And uh, I think one thing that, that it helps do is because people aren't naturally aware of it, we, we tend to explain these issues in other ways. 
you know. So, for example, uh, I gave the KAI to an individual, and, and she learned to score, and she attributed all of her, uh, as she called them, issues as as well. I'm an only child, and, and it, it changed her whole worldview because, well, yes, she's an only child, but but this is her her personality, and, and this this is why uh, she does some of the things she does. So. Uh, I, I when I work with companies, sometimes it's um, you know some of the, some of the companies are looking at differences of of race or nationality or gender or ageism, and and, and those are all important things uh, and and do happen. I don't want to to take away from any of that, but sometimes uh, the disagreement isn't those things. It's actually this thing called problem solving style. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, and. And, and you just said, you know, that, and as I explained earlier, that that can create this like belief system, like she believed she was like that because she was an only child. And these beliefs can be terribly destructive in our lives. And we've come to realize that IQ doesn't um, predispose you to success. It's all these other things. And the more we dig into them, just makes you realize how advanced Dr. Curtin was in his thinking back in the 60s. You know, he was so ahead of the game. Yeah. And we don't really know this system in the UK. He was very active, obviously, out in America. You've been very privileged out there to be able to work with this system. We don't really have it here. And I know that's one of Nicola's ambitions. Um, and I know it was here being used in one of the business schools, I think, Cranfield. Um, but you were saying to me that the army also used it, like the Navy SEALs. I loved that bit. Oh, yeah. that was that made it all very sexy. It was almost like one of those <laughs> movies from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, military actively used it, the Navy SEALs, um, uh, and I believe military in, in the UK too for some time. And, and different different uh, branches use it uh, more readily than others. Um, it, you know. It, um, I lost my train of thought a little bit, but um, it, it just gives a lot of insight to how, um, well, let me say it this way, you can predict how someone's going to respond in yeah. a problem-solving environment, and, and that's very um, that, that's very critical when, when lives are on the line. Um, and, you know, what's really cool is Dr. Curtin um, fought in World War II, and uh, uh, during the KAI Symposium, uh, Rob Sheffield was able to interview him while he's still alive and ask him questions about how he developed the theory. And, and even though the the studies uh, that led him to the theory were in the 60s going into the 70s, um, he was noodling on this for quite some time. Like he was very observant. Uh, I remember one of the things they talked about in, in the video clip that's going to be at the tribute to Dr. Curtin at the symposium is that um, he noticed in the military some people uh solve problems because they were asked to solve problems and some people did not <laughs> some people solve problems whether they were asked to or not uh, they ignored orders or you know and, and that was very yeah and that was very curious to him why did some people um not necessarily obey command but say here's a problem solve it and they they did what they were asked to do and some people uh were asked to solve a problem and they didn't solve that problem in particular they solved a different problem in response uh yeah and so such a familiar experience <laughs> anyone who's ever worked with me will be like oh yes we can now see what's going on here um 
that you know that just brought up all that you know Alan Turing and the enigma I just wonder if he ever um, bumped into him because I can imagine those two would have had an amazing conversation yeah yeah he uh, Alan Turing was like it must have been high on the innovator scale um and what was Dr Curtin was he innovator or adaptive or are we yeah. not allowed to reveal that? His, that his response, his response was he never took the KAI, so <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> I wonder if Nicola has kind of like filled it in for him. Well, I'll have to ask. Yeah. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking forward to the symposium, and if people want to have a look at that, you can click on the call to action at the bottom there. Um, thank you, Vincent, for adding in. Oh yes, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent's worked with me now for about 11 years and um, so he's very familiar with uh, as I say you know I've done some workarounds I hope I'm a bit more pleasant to work with than I was when I was 21 I must have been vile I really I need to go back and apologize to those people you know one poor man who I was I was so difficult because I could never take an instruction I would always have to question everything and he found it so frustrating and and, and annoying <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I do owe, if anyone's watching, I apologize. Okay. I was young. I was, I was excitable. I'm still excitable. I'm just a bit older and a bit more aware now. So I, I have put in some workarounds. But yeah, go and have a look at the symposium. I'm definitely going. It's going to be a fascinating. Can you talk us through what's going to happen at the symposium? What we're likely to see and hear? Yeah. Um, we have some research presentations from practitioners around the world. Uh, what, what's great about a lot of our, the KAI practitioners that we certify to use the KAI is they're um, high-level users. They're, they're interested in data. A lot of them have PhDs, um, and uh, they're going to present on everything from business to um, concepts of diversity to, um, uh, let me think, some military examples, uh, business examples, uh, some science of teams. Um, we're going to have two keynote speakers. Uh, the first is uh, Kanesh Raja, who is um, he, just a, an amazing individual, has experience advising governments and companies around the world. Uh, he's over there in the UK uh, with, with his center. And then the second keynote speaker is a friend of mine, uh, Seth Derner um, from Nebraska. He started a company called Vivek with a, a co-founder, Doug Keeker. And um, what was very cool about them is they started this company and uh, they, they do a lot of education for, for um, different companies around, around the country. And they said to themselves when they first started out, we don't care where you live, we want the best people. And, and so, and you can stay living there. Uh, so they've been operating virtually uh for for years long before COVID-19 so they have a lot of experience to offer us uh in terms of how to do it well um so so great people doing that uh we have a tribute to Dr. Curtin uh we'll have some facilitated networking time and then we'll have uh, a session on the future of KAI uh, now that Dr. Curtin's passed away um you know Nicola Megan Seibel uh and I will will be talking more about that um you know plans thinkings um directions and so forth oh that's i mean it sounds fascinating i love the idea you, so you grew up in nebraska didn't you yeah um which is why you've you've got that connection and we were talking about that because it snowed here and i was telling <laughs> slight deviation here but i was telling kurt that we've got snow and we don't get snow very often 
in, in the south of England, down near the coast. So it's very exciting. But, you know, growing up in Nebraska, this was a, like an everyday experience for you. But when you did the interview, which will be live later on on the website, you'll be able to read it. Um, we just we just do a very quick Q&A with our guests so people can get a bit of an insight into who you are. Because um, lots of people watch these videos, obviously, um, after the event. And um, I said, what was the most significant um, influence on you? And you said growing up in Nebraska. What is, tell us, what is growing up in Nebraska? <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, the, the state motto is the good life. And, and there was a marketing campaign uh, done a couple of years ago. And they said, well, it's not for everyone. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> good life. You can't it's, uh, have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um there, there's places where it's quite desolate you know there's there's more cows than people and so i grew up on a cattle ranch and just very fortunate in my opinion to to um have a family that uh were homesteaders so so my great great grandfather was a homesteader um got the got a tract of land from the government as long as he stayed there for so many years and um th that land is still in the family and um uh, because there's not a lot of people out there, I ended up going to school in a one-room schoolhouse. Um, so I had one classmate uh, from kindergarten on to seventh grade. And uh, funny enough, we, we went to uh, city school, which is about 12 miles away, because uh, my uh, classmate uh, was very athletic. I, I, I was athletic, but not quite as athletic as he was. And uh, his parents really wanted him to play in high school sports. So we we went to town schools for for that um but uh but yeah i you know and and just thinking my best memories are, are from nebraska and and my uh one of my um favorite authors um wrote about uh um where, where you know you, you see a, a sunrise or sunset and it's 180 degrees because flat land blue sky prairie and uh it's like you see the floor of the sky wow wow that's quite a vision and as lots of creatives will be watching this i'm, I'm hoping that 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 we'll see we're going to see some artwork on the back of that yeah <laughs> that is just that yeah i love i love that when i um i go out to the south of france quite a lot and you know looking out that light you can see why artists were motivated to work in those places the light and the panorama as you say you know you just see this um, 360 degree view it's just incredible so that's inspiring place to grow up but what most inspiring for me is you know you're a you've got a phd you're a doctor you're working on some really high level stuff and you went to a one room schoolhouse with one other guy yeah nothing people listening listen nothing can hold you back if you can imagine it you can have it you can be it and you can do it you know i was talking on a program last night with um, somebody and i said look you know I was the least confident child. I didn't have a difficult childhood. It wasn't terrible, but I was so unconfident. And um, I would try and hide. I would literally try and become invisible. Hadn't read Harry Potter at that point. Hadn't even been thought of. If only it had, I would have bought myself the invisibility cloak, which wouldn't have been helpful. But I was a terrified. I came to this world terrified and wanting to hide. And yet now... I've, as your city said, you know, I've grown up, I've become more aware of myself, I've walked into my superpowers and I can imagine it. So now I can do it. And it doesn't matter whether I'm highly innovative and people find me challenging and I found a workaround or whether I went to a really expensive school or I didn't go to, a, I went to a school with one. 
it's about what you make of it. It's, these are all tools, the KAI, the understanding, they're all tools that you can use to help you get where you want to be, get what, you know, get out of life, get the good life. Go to Get the good life. But that's it, isn't it? Um, so someone on um, Lloyd on Facebook is saying, yeah, the say Navy SEALs used it. Read Stealing Fire. Oh, I didn't know. So is it mentioned in the is it mentioned in the book, I wonder? So um I don't know that many people who are using it in the UK, as you say. It's not, you know, a lot of people, disc is very highly discussed here and and then when you go for interviews you often have a psychometric test it doesn't have a, a title or a name um but it, i'm hoping as you know nicola and you work together with this um going forward that it's going to become more um apparent in the uk and people will be because it's so easy to understand yeah yeah it's very simple and dr Curtin put a lot of effort into uh making the theory elegant um and, and simple. Uh, there's quite a bit of parsimony to it. Um, well, one of the, the key nuggets that I think really puts things together uh, is what Dr. Curtin called problem A and problem B. Uh, problem A is a task at hand. It's, it's why the group forms because they have a shared interest in solving a problem. Um, and that problem is problem A. Uh, problem B's are distractions from problem A, simply defined. And just thinking about whether it's leadership or working in teams or, or what have you, uh, marriage, relationships, uh, problem A and problem B apply uh, in a lot of places. And, and so uh, what are problem Bs? Problem Bs can any, be anything from uh, gaps of differences in values, um, lack of resources, lack of time, um, uh, differences of opinion, miscommunications, but the one significant factor we'll add to that is when, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a gap in problem solving style. Uh, you want to innovate and I want to adapt or, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. and, and that creates a problem B. So we got to talk about, discuss, and, and really at the heart of problem B is this idea that um, I think my ideas are better because of who I am, whether that's my status, my identity, um, could be my race, my problem solving style, my gender, or, or, or what have you. And, and the, that degree of contempt uh, really creates problem Bs. If, if we're able to uh, keep our, our egos in check and um, uh, recognize that there's a mutual respect here, you, you respect me for who I am and I respect you for who you are, uh, problem Bs tend to iron themselves out quite a bit. Uh, the other aspect of, of problem B is, which is, I think, what we're dealing with a lot more um, in, in today's society, is uh, in, in the solving of problem A, I am not getting fair reward for my contributions in solving problem A as everyone else. And, and that's troubling to me because of who I am. And, and so uh, that's also an issue we need to address. If, if, you're, if you're contributing to the solving of problem A, uh, you should get fair reward for, for your efforts in helping solve problem A. That is something that you just knit, hit the nail firmly on the head. Anyone would think you knew where you, who you were talking to. Because that's, you know, a massive issue with creatives is that, you know, they are providing um, the 
entertainment, the emotion, they're explaining things for people, they're helping people channel their emotions, they're providing a lovely environment for people, etc. But in this industry, systemically in this industry, people are not paid, not even not paid properly. They're not paid. And everyone is, oh, you, could you do this for me for free? Mm -hmm. Well, why? Why? You know, I'm providing a service for you. And this has created this massive um, limiting belief within creatives that they can't charge. A, they can't charge. And then when they do, they can't charge a fair price for what they are contributing to society. It's a bit like a diversity issue, isn't it? It's a bit like all of the issues. It's, um, you know, they're not being they're not being valued for their contribution to society. And how do we how do we deal with that? How do we? Get around it. I mean, I know I'm constantly advocating and telling them to charge properly and pay pay properly for the services you want and charge properly for yeah what yeah. You're doing. So my work is often applied to nonprofits and, and social change, and, and so you know, let's say you're, you're running a nonprofit and, and you're acting as a social change agent and. Um, uh, you know, for example, um, I, don't, I don't know if you have them in the UK, but one example I'm thinking of is Bomba Socks. Um, and, and so what, what Bomba Socks has discovered was um, the most needed and, and requested thing of people who are homeless or, or in poverty was socks. So for every pair of socks that you buy, uh, they'll donate the, uh, a pair of socks for free. And, and um, and not that I'm promoting Bomba socks, but just as an example of of, mm -hmm. of this, mm -hmm. um, some people who are running a nonprofit like that believe they should not be making a ton of money. The, 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 so what happens is your values get in the way of of um, your bottom line, really. Uh, so so we really have to have a, a conversation with ourselves in this, you know. In my mind, uh, I think I align more with you, Leslie, that we still have to put food in the refrigerator. Uh, we still have to take care of the kids um, mm. uh, or, or, or maybe it's our elderly, uh, whatever that is, um, we still have to, to make money to, to do those things. And so sometimes our, our values get in the way of that. And I, I can understand the feeling, but, but um, why, why is a nonprofit offering uh, free things in the name of social change different from any other company who also needs to make money um, to pay their bills? Yeah, I, I do feel that there's some enabling going on. I really do in that, that um, our values definitely get in the way and we're enabling people to exploit, we're enabling the exploitation. We're kind of helping the system give it energy by not having that serious talk with ourselves and i always say you know do you ha you know you why do you think you don't deserve to have own your own house why don't you deserve to have aspirations to have enough money you can enough money for you and enough money for me is completely different you can have as much money as you want money is just a tool yeah it's just a tool. I think it's this whole concept of money, it's, you know, especially in the UK, this cultural perception of money being dirty and the yeah. money mindset of like, oh, people with money must be greedy. They must be uh, money grabbing. That's another. It's complete. It's complete rubbish. It is all a system to hold you back from 
having what you want and you can and if you can imagine it you can have it and i now say actually it's unethical for you not to charge the right price because you are now saying to someone my work isn't worth this so therefore all the other people who make work like this aren't worth it either well how who are you to make the decision for the other thousand artists who are making abstract landscapes you're yeah. not it's not your right it's not your business ethically to make that decision on behalf of everybody else mm -hmm. you make it for yourself and it's not your right to therefore completely cast aside every other artist. So it's our ethical duty to charge the right price. That's how it works. And it's about giving value. So if you feel you're giving value, charge fair value for it. It's a massive conversation for another day. But, you know, I think this understanding yourself, being more aware, really helps you to unpick that. And you said you... A lot of the times you've said, like, the problem A and the problem B. The problem B is solved by conversation and communication, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And you said that a lot in, you know, well, we need to have a conversation. We need to talk about that. And how many times do we not want to talk about it? Do we just want to shove it under the under the rug? Yeah. We don't like confrontation. How does, how does KAI help us with that? Or yeah, that's it? a great question. Um, you know, a lot of it hinges again on mutual respect, uh, humility. Uh, one of the, um, well, a, a, a couple things. Uh, one of the ideas that Dr. Kern promoted often was the idea of devil's advocate, which uh, is a technique you can use to say, hey, I have this idea, just playing devil's advocate. Um, what, what do you think about this? And what it does is, it, it removes yourself from the idea. And, and so people aren't questioning, well, why did you have that idea? What are the politics behind it? Um, what, what's your motive? What, you know, what are you really after? Let, let's just talk about the idea. And what that does is it creates a safe space uh, to, to judge the idea on its merits. Um, but, but you're right, Leslie, it's, it's uh, having conversations. I, I think it's a lot of it's building relationships. Um, uh, um, absolutely agree this relationship thing is key and we talk again another conversation we have a lot within the community is especially now with the prolification of social media and we're saying you know it's a relationship tool use it to build relationships if you build relationships everything else will fall into place because you'll be able to do this you know have a conversation held in a safe place without anyone feeling judged most yeah. that just triggered off a memory for me when my kids were small and we'd be in the car and you know we'd be driving and they'd go don't be offended but or i don't mean to be rude but and we'd always go yeah you're going to be rude okay go for it <laughs> <laughs> and it'd always trigger off a massive conversation in the car about whatever it is they decided they wanted to have a chat about but they wanted to precursor it with which was their version of devil's advocate wasn't it and so now my children will come to me with something and they'll say now I want to talk about this, Mum. Can we yeah. do it? The can we do it the short version? And I'm like, no, no, I don't yeah. do short version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, one thing I've I've often talked about is being able to disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah. Um, you, you know, uh, so many times I see, especially with our our younger people, um, this notion of 
uh, on social media canceling people who you disagree with because you don't want to see someone else's thoughts. Well, um, you know, yeah, blocking. It's, you know, I guess I'm of the mindset that, you know, if if that person has different opinions, what's the matter with that person having different opinions? It doesn't bother me any. Um, you know, it, it takes everyone to make the world go round and, and maybe you might have some better ideas than, than I do on some things. And, and those opinions aren't a mark of your intelligence or who you are, it's just different different thinking. So we can disagree without being disagreeable. I absolutely agree. I think that's that um, absolutely about being respectful of other people's perspectives because we just never know what we might hear. We can choose just to turn away and not listen to it. We can choose what we um, consume because that thing about you become the uh, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, remember that social media is part of that now. And yeah. all of these other things are part of that five people now. You can just leave it all on and decide which bits of it you want to consider because it gives you perspective. It mm -hmm. gives you another way of thinking about things. And we, as we're talking about, we have a set way of thinking that's ingrained in us this is just gives an opportunity to create coping be more understanding of other people you know don't, we live in bubbles don't we yeah we live in a bubble and in order to um i have a fear of the known most people have fear of change obviously i'm an innovator so i have a fear of the known i have a fear of average of the same happening every day i get excited when someone comes to me and says i've got oh my god this is a massive crisis i'm like great <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> right let's get into this how can we solve this this is really exciting and other people are different but i know when i talk and like when we've been talking today people would have picked up little nuggets of this they may not agree with everything we say and quite frankly you don't need to no. If if some of it you've learned something about yourself, and that's that thing, build relationships, proper relationships with people, invest, engage. You don't if you don't share values, yeah, then you're going to find some of their opinions offensive. It's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. One of the things we we teach in the theory is is how we each have a paradigm, how we view the world. Uh, we all tell ourselves stories about. Uh, how the facts relate to each other to make sense of the world. And, and we have to have a sense of the world and we have to have a sense of, of ourselves so we can make good use of ourselves in the world. Um, but but adaption innovation theory applies in that, in that um, some people are more adaptive in their view of the world, some people are more innovative in their view of the world. Um, and and um, we want to see the world in the way that we portrayed it, you know, so it's difficult when we come up against things that uh, may not make sense or, or disagree with our, our paradigm view. Um, where, where the theory comes when it comes to like product development and creativity, if you're more adaptive uh, and you want to sell something that's more in to, to a more innovative individual, maybe it's not making it more innovative, just describe the aspects that are different and exciting about it. Um, and if you have an innovator describing something to a more adaptive individual, uh, describe how there are efficiencies, there's betters, there's improvements. Um, and, and so that helps the, the communication process as well in terms of managing change. Mm, I think, yeah, that, I mean, that helps in the selling, doesn't it? When you're you know, thinking about, because, you know, obviously creatives are selling to every type 
they're selling to all types and i love that when they you know say oh i mean i only sold one so that's it that's obviously rubbish and it's like no you just you know it's audience right. find your audience and there's a massive spectrum of audience out there um world view is um a massive topic isn't it and you know our view of the world and i saw the other day someone said um this blew my mind there's no such thing as sky it's like if you went up in a rocket you go you wouldn't go i've just passed the sky would you i can't I can't, what do you mean there's no sky i've got to compute that that whole thing now of this rocket going through the yeah atmosphere yeah and i'm like yeah, we've got to give new names to stuff you know they just changed my entire world view on <laughs> how the world sits with earth sea and sky well the, the they've just taken sky out of my game yeah. <laughs> how am i going to deal with that now and that is just being listening i've been listening i always i'm i listen to loads of podcasts and stuff i'm always interested in other people's viewpoints because it does help you grow and learning helps you grow all the time and i want to grow and be a useful human be yeah. here on this earth doing something useful not just breathing and using up resources yeah i think we could approach the world with the idea that everyone has something to teach us and and i don't know what that is but if i hang around long enough you, you can teach me something and so that, and I think that's one of the greatest compliments I can give someone is you, you taught me something that I didn't know before. And, you know, if, if um, Dr. Curtin had a, a way of, of looking at it is, you know, when, when we're interacting with another individual, we have three options. We can collaborate with that individual, uh, we can ignore them, or we can compete against them. And it's when we start thinking about, well, they're wrong and I'm right, that's when we start entering competition. And um, so many times in public discourse of our world of our world views, um, you know, I think if we could just think about that and say, well, no, they offer something that's valuable to me. I don't have to compete with them. Uh, I, I can still learn something from them. And um, you know, they they've experienced some truth that that I have not, and, and that if I can learn just a little bit more about their truth, maybe I can build on to, to be more knowledgeable about the topic or overall. Because why, well, maybe not go there, but I, I just think that there's, um, so oftentimes we're limited by our, our own worldviews, we're discounting everyone else's worldviews, and, and they have most of the time no reason for lying um, about those experiences. Um, and if we listen, long enough, uh, we can discover that their, well, well, their arguments may not be articulated well because we're not understanding them, but if we listen closely enough, they're, they're more aligned than what we're thinking anyway. You, you know, that they, they agree more with us than we realize. Too often we take you know, our best arguments against someone else's worst arguments. But if we, we compare arguments and, and start thinking, well, hey, they got some pretty good arguments here. How does that really align with, with my good arguments? And then we can't progress. Yeah, that's where, the, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. You know, you take your best argument and their best argument, and that's it. You, you know, you're going to have magic, aren't you? Life yeah. is not a competition. You know, we can go into it 
with the intention and you know this is something again I spoke about yesterday was I set my intention every morning that today's going to be a great day I'm going to learn and grow doesn't matter what whether that's that doesn't mean that everything's going to be great and I'm not going to be faced with horrible things because you know life's like that it does chuck you up the old challenge and you know horrible things happen of course they do but if you go into it with the intention that you're going to listen and learn and you're going and and you're going to grow from the experience then every day is great every day is going to be cool and I love that ignore collaborate learn it's not a competition you don't have to compete you can compete if you want to if that gives you a bit of motivation to you know work sure. a bit, bit harder and faster but such an insightful man I mean I obviously had the privilege of meeting him quite a few times in um not in a work scenario but in a family scenario I am actually godparent to all all five of Nicola and Angus's children so I met Dr Curtin and his wife and he had a very long marriage as well and mm -hmm. I think when you were touched on that about you know the problem a and problem b you come you have a you solve the problem a because you know you've, you're in a relationship and then problem b's come along how do you how do you end up in a long-standing marriage well it's certainly not by ignoring your partner it's by collaboration it's by learning together it's about growing together and you know i've been married for 32 years and i know nicola has been married she's one year ahead of me <laughs> And, um, you know, we definitely have used that. Um, let's not, you know, put aside, Dr. Curtin could be challenging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be a challenging man, um, but fascinating. I have found this conversation, I've learned even more, Kurt, um, than when we had our last conversation. And um, I'm very grateful for you for sharing all of this. I hope lots of people will join me at the symposium and I will get Nicola on to have a chat um, next time I do the talks because I think hearing how she, once you've done the symposium and she's discussed how she's going to take, how she sees the um, KAI going um, in the future, then it'll be really interesting to have her viewpoint. You know, um, Nicola and I worked together at Coca-Cola. Okay. She, she gathered the data. I analysed the data and then sold more fizzy water. We both decided this wasn't our dream job. <laughs> this wasn't our life. This is not what we wanted to be known for the people who really did well at selling coloured fizzy water to mums that ruined <laughs> children's teeth. But we had a really good time. Let's not, you know, play it down. We had a good time. We had a lot of fun. Um, and we made some really great friends. Um, but I've known her a long time. And I think she'd be fascinating. Her experience in marketing is second to none. Well, second to mine. But second to none. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, stand, stand next to each other in marketing. <laughs> yeah, she's delightful. Um, she has lots of insight. Of course, um, she had the privilege of of watching her dad you know develop this and and all of his thinking behind it and um yeah yeah she'll be a pleasure for you to have on yeah no i'm really looking forward to it but you've been an absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed it i'm very grateful you got up early for us um kurt has had covid but you're looking really well so for the last two weeks you and your family have been very unwell haven't you so i'm just so delighted that you're you're healthy now yeah, thanks. No, we were lucky. Um, we, we were sick for several days, uh, solid. Um, I had a, a second round within the two weeks where I, I felt um, ill for, for a couple of days where I was starting to get nervous because, you know, 
I, I I'll say I, I was definitely sicker with other flus or, or viruses, but um, just the uncertainty of this, you know, the anxiety of, of okay, what, what's going to happen next? I do believe if you get COVID, the best thing you can do is, is just take care of yourself. Don't, don't try to rush it because you, you know, you are tempted to, because you're not feeling as, as sick to, to go out, you know, um, do things at the computer because we're all working from home anyway now. Um, uh, but the uncertainty of it is, I, I think people are getting long form is what they're discovering, you know, where you have symptoms lasting uh, weeks, if not months is, is you're just not taking care of yourself. So, so take care of yourself out there. Yeah, self-care is really important. I think, you know, if you get it, go go to bed. Go to bed and close your laptop and let it let the battery die. Don't um don't be tempted. My husband had it back in March and he had long covid so he did, he was still suffering from symptoms in August. Um I've put him Nicola's very Nicola's very impressed with this. I've put him on this very good like getting him well routine. He's now lost over four stones so she's she's super impressed with with this he's looking great he's healthier than he's ever been so there is an upside he was near to death and mm. he's now incredibly you know well he's been doing when we were allowed to he was doing pilates and stuff such like uh, we walk we walk several times a week so i've i found the opportunity Although I'm incredibly grateful for um, everyone being healthy and my mum has had the jab and everything, I found this opportunity to reset. They say reset the room, don't they? I've kind of reset the room and now I have embedded a lot more self-care into my habits and I'm determined to carry those through as things change. I don't think they'll ever go back to how they were before, but things will inevitably, other things will creep in. We're humans. We're really bad at bad habits, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I would say in the same vein, for, for me, COVID has been a, a blessing and a curse. So I have a an 18-month-old, or he's almost 18 months old. And, um, you know, it was, it was horrific um, trying to have him at home when daycare was closed. And, you know, my wife and I bouncing him back and forth between Zoom meetings. Uh, but, but the blessing was we got to see his first steps you know, and, oh, and, yeah. um, and probably developed a, a stronger, stronger relationship with him when, you know, if at home, than if he were at daycare. So, um, we, uh, we're, we're thankful for that, but, um, I yeah. absolutely agree. I mean, how amazing. I know my husband worked away for, you know, the last 28, nine years, um, didn't see the children's first steps, didn't see many of those milestones. He's been at home now since March and he's loving it. You know, yeah. he's he's in the house making lunch for the boys. You know, he does that on a Tuesday while I'm doing this. And, um, you know, he's home at five. Mm -hmm. You know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, sometimes half 11 was quite normal. So no, there's some real blessings. Yeah. Well, you all take care and stay safe over there. I'm not going to mention anything about Biden and Trump or anything, but, you know, we're all very <laughs> grateful. OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, take care. Lots of self-care. Really, really enjoyed chatting to you, Kurt. And I'm booking onto the symposium. So hopefully I'll see lots of other people there as well. Um, really looking forward to it. It's in towards the end of February. So um, I think booking closes on, you were going to say, like the 17th of February or something like that. Yeah. Deadline to enroll for the symposium is the 17th. Uh, mm. the, the symposium is the 24th and the 25th. 
Um, we're looking for it to be a great event. And, and if you can't make the symposium, I'll also add, um, we, Nicola and I have been working on a podcast series. So if you go to the KI website, if you go to the symposium link, you'll also go, you, you can see another um, bar in the menu where you can click on for podcasts as well. So enlightening stuff about adaption innovation. Um, yeah, I can see the podcast. I'm going to just do a quick screen share before we go so people can see. So a quick screen share of showing everyone where that is. K-A-I share. There we go. There you go. So you can see there up on the um, screen. Yeah, there's a... Um... Like there we go. <laughs> there's, there's one series called the Foundation Five, and we meant those to be a little bit uh, more timeless so that uh, if you just want to get the essence of the theory uh, as relatable to world context and events and, and exploring uh, the theory, the Foundation Five is is starting. We got one more to, to add to that. Then the, the podcast series are, are discussing just those things. So we talk about KAI and health uh, with Megan Seibel and, and, uh, Megan Seibel and, and Rob Samuel. Uh, at Aetna. Uh, we have, um, the, the, what made me think about it, Leslie, was the, um, I did a podcast with Jessica Prager, um, Prater on um, the new normal and, and what that means, you know, and really think about what's essential and non-essential and, and reorganizing our lives. So yeah, lots of insight there. Yeah, so go and have a look at that one. That one sounds that one sounds fascinating. So yeah, it's just on the top bar, click on podcast and you'll find, um, uh, those there. So thank you so much, Kurt. Really look forward to um, the KAI Symposium and um, hopefully we can have another chat after that and move everything forward. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been really, really, really fascinating. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun and happy to do it again. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was great. Lots of people say, oh, I don't want to do it on screen. And then they do it and they go, when can I do that again? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is great fun. I really love this medium. This is like our new normal is, you know, we don't have to just do written stuff. We can do and in, in real world stuff. We can do this recording and we can do, we'll turn this into a podcast as well. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, over on um, Facebook and YouTube. And all of these recordings are there forevermore now. And they're all on the Pure website as well. So, yeah, take a look, follow, have a look back, follow us. And, um, yeah, next week, who have I got next week? I have to remind myself, so much going on. Next week, we're talking to Mary Coakley at one about grief counselling because obviously a lot of people are struggling with grief, aren't they? Loss um, because of uh, the COVID, not just the evident one of losing somebody, but the actual grief of losing your lifestyle and then in the evening at 6 45 i'm talking to tabish khan from the londonist who's the art critic Sorry, you lost me briefly there. <laughs> the uh, the signal here dropped all of a sudden. So yeah, next next week we've got two. 
so it's a special it's a special day but thank you so much Kurt and I'll speak to everyone very soon take care everyone I will properly hopefully end the broadcast this time um, without it dropping the link all right take care everyone bye for now